Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. Well, I want to talk about the mentality of abundance or the mindset or the attitude of abundance. So let's begin in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. So this is Paul speaking. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Say with me, to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can we read that together? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I love how that begins. For I have learned for whatever state I'm in, say whatever state, not, not Pennsylvania, not, not Florida, not Arizona. Whatever state it means, no matter what's happening on around me, I can be content. That's a, that's a bold statement. It's a brave statement. It's a strong statement. And contentment means, this is what it means. It means freedom from worry anxiety, and restlessness. It means peaceful satisfaction. How many of you say this with me? This sermon sermon is for me. me. (laughs) Come on. No matter what's happening around me, Paul is saying, I can be content. How? I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment also means independent of external circumstances. So it doesn't matter what's happening on around us. It doesn't matter what's happening in the news. It doesn't matter how much our neighbor hates our guts. Come on. I have learned to be content, free from worry, free from anxiety, free from restlessness, I have learned to be content. So Paul is talking about one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. What is, what is that characteristic? It's self-control. So I have the power and strength to control my internal climate. How many of you know that song? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to act like Dad today. I got the power. Right? I got the power, right? Maybe if you can't relate to that, how many of you, when you were a kid, you finally got the remote? You know that feeling? That feeling of, I got the power. Right? But this is what self-control is. I got the power to control my internal world no matter what's happening around me. 
Oh, we didn't like that part. <laughs> so where does Paul get this self-control? He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Amplified says, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am self-sufficient in Christ's abundant supply that never runs out. Come on. It's not just that we rely on Christ. It's that Christ, his supply, it never runs out. Never runs out. Meaning I can access it at any point of the day, at any moment, and get the supply that I need. Why can I be content in any situation? Why? Because I have an abundant resource. I have an abundant relationship with actually true abundance. I love this thought. The fruit or the byproduct of my connection with the Holy Spirit is self-control. A lot of times people say God wants to control you. Actually, he wants you to control yourself. One of the fruit or one of the characteristics of being connected with the Spirit of God is that you actually control yourself. Come on. It means when that person does something, something rises up within you and says, you don't need to say that. You don't need to respond that way. You don't need to respond in anger. Come on. Meaning, if it's from the fruit of the Spirit or it's a characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit, it means that it's a type of self-control that is beyond my ability. Don't you love that? When I'm connected to the Holy Spirit, I am able to access the ability to control myself above the ability of controlling myself. Are you guys seeing this? Because if it's from the fruit of the Spirit... God has a monopoly on what he supplies. And the type of self-control that he offers, I can't get anywhere else. I can't drum it up. I can't manufacture it. Guess what? I get it from him, and it's a reflection of my connection to him. So no matter what situation Paul found himself in externally, he was able to rule. He was able to govern his internal reality through Christ who strengthened him. He was able to have peaceful satisfaction in the midst of external uncertainty. Sound familiar? He was able to have peaceful satisfaction in the midst of the mystery. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And guess what? He doesn't run out. He's not on empty. He doesn't have good days and bad days. He's always available and always ready to pour himself out upon us. This is not just for the super spiritual. It's not something that is unattainable. It's something that is available to every believer. And how many of those do we have in here? So that means it's available to you. To those who believe. Notice that contentment was something that Paul had to learn. Say, thank you, Jesus. It wasn't like he woke up one day and I was like, I can be content in anything. We like to think it, like we would like to hope it worked that way. But sometimes it's a bloody mess. Sometimes it's ugly, right? 
For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Learn in the Greek means to learn by use and practice. Come on. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens when that neighbor does that. The neighbor lets the dog poop in your yard. (laughs) There is an opportunity to learn how to be. And now I'm not saying we don't correct or we don't communicate. I'm just saying there's opportunities all around us that give us an opportunity to learn. Come on. It means to be in the habit of or accustomed to. Many of us get frustrated when it doesn't happen right away, but this is something that you have to learn, that you have to work at. Like sometimes when you see, how is this person so calm? Maybe it's something that they worked on. Maybe it's something that they're, they've come, they became accustomed to trusting in the Lord when all hell is breaking loose. So who is this available to? The pastors? Okay, that's one. Oh, maybe the prophets. Who's it available to? Those who believe. My question to you is, do you believe? Come on. So divine contentment is a reflection of connection. So Paul learned... Paul's learning of this was a process of maturity. It was a process of growth. It was a process of development and character through the work of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that exciting? Why can I do all things? It's through Christ who strengthens me. So we're not doing this on our own. He's teaching us. He's leading us. He's reminding us. Now, I'm not suggesting that we act like nothing's bothering us. Oh, nothing's happening. The house is burning down and nothing's happening. Oh, let me get some tea as the house is burning down. But I'm talking about responding to his sufficiency in the midst of crisis. Imagine this. You got an unexpected $5,000 bill. Were you excited about that? (laughs) Unexpected. It's unexpected. Now imagine you look at your bank account and there's nothing in there. Talk about anxiety, frustration, fear. Let's say you got that $5,000 bill and you looked at your bank account and the zeros keep on going. You'd be like, man, that, I didn't like getting this bill, but I have, this bill doesn't even scratch. It doesn't even make a dent in what I have. That's what it looks like in our relationship with Christ. Oh, hell breaks loose. Oh, really? Well, look at what I got. Look at what it's available to me. Come on. This supply that we have in Christ, we have to learn to lean into it and access it. We have to learn from the Spirit. Some of us, I believe, if we're a believer, we have access to it. But some of us aren't sure how to lean into it and actually access it. But what, thank you, Jesus. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he said, I had to learn this. Come on. He had to learn it. Well, how did he learn? He postured himself and became a student of it. 
Thank you, Father. If we don't see this passage of Scripture in full context, we'll miss that Paul explains the steps he took to learn contentment. So he said, I've learned, but right before that, he actually tells us what he did. So in Philippians 4, 4 through 9, you're going to love this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. In case you missed it, (laughs) rejoice. Come on. In case you're you're not sure what translation this is, I actually said rejoice. (laughs) For I have learned that whatever state I'm in, to be content. What does he say right before this? I rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you missed it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Oh my word, can you actually believe this? You're saying I can be, I can learn contentment by being gentle with those around me? Who would have thought? Come on. No one knows what I'm talking about about that one now. We think making sure they get our opinion is what matters. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything, be th- by prayer and supplication. Supplication means a seeking or a desiring understanding. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So I love this. When you pray, are you getting? When you pray and when you seek me, what are we doing it with? A fearful attitude? What does it say? With thanksgiving. And notice what happens. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. It, it means it goes beyond your own ability to drum it up. Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, this is awesome. Whatever things are true. Whatever things are noble. Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Who would have thought that I could learn contentment by that verse alone? Think on these things. The thing that I love about freedom is you can have whatever you want. Meaning if you want to think and dwell on fear, you can have what you want. But guess what? If I switch it and I think on what is pure and what is true and what is noble and what is just, guess what happens? I get what I truly want. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is teaching us how to steward the presence of God. He's teaching us how to experience the increased manifested presence of peace in our lives. We know that God will never leave us nor forsake us, but when we do these things, there is an increased level of his presence in our life. In this particular situation, it's the, pre- it's the presence of peace. How many of you need some of that? So there's two important lessons in this passage that we need to learn if we're going to walk in divine contentment. First one, we are required to partner. We are required to co-labor with him. What does that mean? It doesn't mean is I'm going to wait for Jesus to do something. That's not what it's saying. We have to partner with what he's doing. So when something happens, we're not going to say, 
God, I'm waiting for your peace. What does the verse say? In that moment, rejoice. In that moment, pray and seek me with thanksgiving. In that moment, be kind to those around you. Are you guys seeing this? So we have to co-labor with Christ. Philippians 4, 7, and 9. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. So listen, look at this partnership. When I rejoice in the midst of hell, God says that I will guard your heart and mind. And I think he does a better job than we do. And in verse 9, the things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. That's what co-laboring looks like. Do these things, and guess what? His increased manifest and presence of peace will be with you. Come on. So the first one is we have to co-labor. The second one is our mentality must be one of abundance. This does not work if you don't believe that Christ is sufficient in all circumstances. When you get that bill and you look at Christ and you see he's not enough, this does not work. This only works when you see that God is a well that never runs dry. In the Amplified, it says, I am self-sufficient. I am able to walk in sufficiency because of Christ's sufficiency. I can do all things through Christ. So if we don't see Christ as the, the abundant well that he is, it doesn't work. If we say, I have to figure this out, I have to do it on my own strength, it doesn't work. It only works when you see him as the abundant giver that he is. Here's the thing. True abundance is not the excess of possessions. True abundance is a person. I'm going to say this again. True abundance is not just having a bunch of stuff. True abundance is a person that we have relationship with, that we have connection to. And guess what? When you're with him, you have everything that you need. So when that bill comes, you just look at your supply. Come on. If we get the bill and our attention goes to fear, what has power to shape us? Because everything can shape us at any moment and any time. Come on. It's not what we possess that gives us abundance, but who possesses us that ultimately provides us with true abundance. What does Paul say? Yeah, whatever state I'm in, I can do all things. And one thing I want to point out is this is Paul talking. What does that mean? How many of you know he did not live a glamorous life? (laughs) He didn't live a posh life. So if Paul says, I could do all things, are you guys seeing this? If Paul says, I can do all things, come on. So our contentment is directly connected to our understanding of what we have in Jesus. 
So how do we establish a mentality of abundance? First and foremost, we must accept and believe that we are loved by a father that is abundant in all good things. This does not work if you think God is stingy with what he has. Come on. If you got to beg God to get him to pour himself out, I believe that we have a wrong mentality of who God is. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So James, clear, James clearly states that if it's good, say good. If it's perfect, say perfect. And perfect means wanting nothing necessary to completeness. So what is James saying? If it's good and it's perfect, his name's written on it. He signed it. And so James is revealing his nature. Matthew 7, 9 through 11, this is Jesus speaking. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give him a stone instead? Maybe some do. Or if they ask you, ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. If you sinful people, if you imperfect people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your perfect heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? He's saying, look at you. Look, parents, right? He's saying, parents, don't you want to give good gifts to your children? And you're imperfect. But what about the father who is perfect in all things? What does he want to do? Even more. Come on. In James, it says, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. What does that mean? It means it's sealed. It means he's consistent. It means he doesn't have a good day and bad days. He does not change. It means when we are in a time of need, we have access to him. Come on. So this gives us a confident hope, an assured expectation. And I love this. So we just read that every good and perfect gift comes from above. But what is the verse right before it? James, well, we know it's James 1.16. But what does it say? Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Think about that. Don't be deceived into thinking who your father is. Because a lot of times, religion says, you ask for bread, God will give you a stone. You ask for a fish, he'll give you a snake. And James says, do not be deceived. Come on, every good and perfect gift comes from above. So don't be tricked into believing a lie about your father's character. John 10.10, 10. it wouldn't be my sermon if it wasn't in here. The thief does not come except to steal, say steal, steal. to kill, yeah. kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So Jesus makes this definitive statement. This is what the fruit of the enemy looks like. It's stealing, it's killing, and destroying. This is what the fruit that this is the fruit that I bring, and it's life, and it's life abundantly. Other versions will say life to overflowing. 
Now, there's a lot of attention and value in the church given to our ability to learn from pain, suffering, lack, and difficult situations. The truth is every situation we face has the power to shape us. Every situation we face has the power to shape us. But what do we want shaping us? Do we want fear shaping us? Do we want pain shaping us? Do we want lack shaping us? Do we want terror shaping us? Come on. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what are the lessons we want to shape us? Which I just said, which I thought it, and then it was in my notes next. (laughs) So the question I want to ask you is, will the lesson be in the problem or the solution? What What do you think you want to be learning from? The problems or the solutions? Will the lesson be in the lack or the abundance? See, a lot of times religion says God is teaching you through lack. But when I look at scripture, he longs to pour himself out richly upon us above what we can even ask or think. Will the lesson be in the pain or will the lesson be in the healing and the restoration? Come on. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. There it is again, all things. So when we rely on his supply, right? When we rely on his sufficiency, he will work all things. And it could be terrible things. And he will work it out for the good of those that love him and called according to his purpose. Why could Paul boldly declare that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him? Because Paul's ability was was dependent upon Christ's sufficiency. Why can I do all things? Because I have a never-ending well of supply. It does not run out. It does not have good days and bad days. It doesn't get irritated with me. Come on. Paul did not learn from lack. He learned from Christ's sufficiency in his circumstance. Paul said, listen, I know how to be abased. Not sure what that means, but it doesn't sound very good. It probably means you're getting walked all over. And I know how to abound. That sounds better to me. So did he learn from being abased? No, what did he say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So his revelation did not come from being abased. It came from his understanding of God's abundance in every situation. So his kingdom revelation came from the, the abundance he had in Christ, not the circumstance of being abased. The question I want to ask you is, what are we allowing to influence us? What are we giving the power to shape us? Fear, anxiety, worry, because they like to shape you. But do we want Christ's sufficiency in his abundance and his restoration to shape us? When you learn from the problem itself, your thinking will become cynical. I'll say it again. When you learn from the problem itself, your thinking will become cynical. 
So what happens is you begin to see the problem in everything. Have you ever been there before? You've been hurt. So every relationship you got to watch out for. Why? Because you learned from the pain. Right? Like the simple one, I'm not going to touch the stove again. Right? And so when we learn from the problem and we learn from pain, we'll always be on the lookout for those things. Come on. I'm not saying that these things won't happen when you're in Christ. I'm saying they will. I'm saying, what do we want to shape our lives? If you learn from lack, you'll begin to see lack in every situation. That bill didn't get paid, so I'm going to have to be extra careful. Because there might be another time and another place. If pain is what shapes you, you'll see pain in every opportunity. Oh, you have this amazing opportunity come. Well, you know what? They're not that great people, you know. So what are you doing? You're protecting yourself, right? I'm going to reject them before they reject me. Why? Because you've learned from the pain, right? But when you learn from God's abundance in the midst of the problem, you become hopeful. When you actually learn that God will make a way where there seems to be no way, what are you looking for? Where's the way? Where's the way? God, where are you going to show yourself? How are you going to do this, God? It's a mess right now. I can't believe how messy it is. But you are going to do something awesome. So when you position yourself, what do you think happens? You position yourself to receive what he wants to do. But if you position yourself based upon the pain and the lack, what are you going to get? More lack and more pain. Do you see the difference? The result is you you begin to see the promise in everything. You begin to see a solution in every situation. You begin to say, you know what? I could do all things. Oh, this is what the enemy's doing right now? You know what? I can do all things. Not because of my strength, but because of his strength and his supply. Do you realize that you walk with abundance? Do you realize that you're actually friends with abundance? That's a good friend to have, don't you think? Do you realize that you have the opportunity to actually talk to abundance? God, I don't know what to do. Awesome opportunity to talk to him. Because guess what? He knows. And he has the right answer and the solution for every situation. Any situation that is without hope is under the influence of a lie. Any situation that is without hope is under the influence of a lie. Why? Because I have abundance right beside me. I have the solution right beside me. Actually, the solution is leading me. And it's my job to keep my eyes on him as best as possible. Are you guys following? 
James 1.5, if you are deficient in wisdom, how many of you need some wisdom? Let him ask of the giving God who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly without reproach or fault finding, and it will be given to him. Now, wisdom means a, a couple different things, but one of the aspects of wisdom means the skill in management of affairs. What does that mean? I have no idea what to do with this right now. If you lack wisdom, ask. And he's not going to point an accusing finger at you and say, come on, what are you doing? He gives liberally. Come on. Like dad's perfect example. You put uh, uh, the mayonnaise on the chicken sandwich liberally so that it runs out on the sides. Right? More than enough. You walk around all day with those little two white things on your cheeks. So the lesson to be learned is not in the lack, it's in the abundance. If we believe that God's method of teaching us is through lack, pain, and suffering, we will believe we need to remain in a place of lack to receive the lesson. I'll say this again. If we think that lack and the problems and the struggles that we're, de- that we're dealing with are from God, why would we ever leave it? Come on. I find a real disconnect between learning from lack and being adopted by a father that is abundant in all good things. Now think about this. If our God is an abundant God, and when he pours himself out, he does the overflowing, would it not be against his nature to lead us into lack? Come on. Now, I'm not suggesting that we won't experience difficult or painful situations, right? Actually, Scripture says there's a promise of being persecuted, right? But what I'm suggesting is that in the midst of those circumstances, we have a never-ending well of resource through Christ who strengthens us. Do you see the difference? Do you see why you can have hope and be free from worry in any situation? Why is that? Because... Your well never runs dry. It doesn't run dry. If you think it does, then we have a wrong view of who God is. If we believe the lesson is in the problem, we'll be on the lookout for problems. You know, God loves teaching me through problems. So where's the next problem? Where's the next chaotic moment? Come on. If we believe that the lesson is in the problem, we'll be on the lookout for problems rather than always being on the lookout for Christ in every situation. Oh, that's a doozy. What are you going to do about that? Oh, you don't want me to do anything. You don't want me to say anything. Great. Awesome. I'll keep my mouth shut. Oh, you want me to say something. Well, Lord, I'm kind of fearful about that because they're pretty scary over there. Oh, I'll be with you. Every situation is going to be different, but we have a never-ending well of resource. Come on. This is why in Philippians 4, Paul makes the connection between our contentment and where our attention is. Come on. Are we allowing the kingdom of God to shape us or the problem? A lesson that pain likes to teach us is not to trust people. Let me give you one lesson in pain that it likes to teach us. 
Don't trust people. They're going to get you. They might have a smile on their face right now, but they'll eventually get you. That's what pain teaches us, right? Be on guard. Protect yourself. But do we want the... But do we want the lesson to be his abundant grace, which leads us to forgiveness and strength? Do you see the difference? Now, God will work all things for our good, right? We know that. But do we want the lesson in the pain? Or do we want to learn from his grace to forgive? Come on. Which one's stronger? The grace to forgive. A lesson that suffering likes to teach us is that we must be, it must be my fault that I'm experiencing this. God's teaching me a lesson. I said some pretty dumb things last week and God's just giving it to me. I fell off that ladder. God's teaching me. No, we never said that before. But his abundance of love shows us that we have been called to abundant life that is free from condemnation. See, suffering will say you deserve this. But in God, in grace, we are free from all condemnation. So do you think the lesson is in the suffering? Or is the lesson receiving his abundant abundant grace free from condemnation? Come on. What lessons do you... The truth is... Everything has the power to shape us, but what do you want to shape you? A lesson that, like, that lack likes to teach us is that you're, that you're responsible to meet every one of your needs by your own strength. Lack happens. You know what? I got to figure this out on my own. I got to be more careful. I got to protect myself. I got to manage it better. But his abundant power within us teaches us that we are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that he asks or thinks. Was the kingdom lesson in the lack or the exceeding abundance? When we, when we allow the problem, the pain, the offense to dominate our thinking, we're surrendering to and giving power to shape us. I love this quote from Bill Johnson. Faith does not deny a problem's existence. It denies, it's a pla- it denies it a place of influence. So remember when I was talking about, it's not like, oh, this thing is not happening. La, la, la. I choose not to think on this. I, I avoid it at all possible. You know, it's not happening. You, all hell is breaking loose. How's it going, brother? Amazing. God is so good. So faith is not saying that it doesn't exist. It's saying, I give you no place of influence in my life. When you look at Paul, Paul was going through some difficult things, but he always says, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with this, but it always ends with, but God. But this is what he's doing. So we don't deny our present reality, but faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And then it goes on to say, for by it, for by faith, they obtained a good report. Meaning, it wasn't in their present reality, but by faith, they actually took something that was unseen and made it manifested. Come on. Remember, this type of attitude was something that Paul had to learn He learned from positioning and intentionality. 
Matthew 14, 15. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place, a deserted place. And the hour is already late. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. So where were they at? They were at a deserted place. What is a deserted place? This place is where they could not get food. There was no Walmart, no McDonald's, no Five Guys. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Never been there, huh? Right? There was no, they're saying there's no way that they can fulfill their need. How, how many of you have ever been at that place? There's no place where I can get this need met. But one thing that I think is funny about this, hey, we're in a deserted place. What did they just experience? Supernatural healing. And they said, this is a place where your needs cannot be met. (laughs) Say, thank you, Jesus. We're not alone. We do dumb things too. Send them away to meet their own need. But Jesus had another plan, right? In another telling of, of this encounter, Jesus asked Philip a question. Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Jesus said this. Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? If you don't think that's kind of funny, that's pretty funny. John 6, 6. But he said, he said to test him, for he knew what he would do. How are we going to feed these people? And Jesus knew what he was going to do. And then this is what Philip said. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Matthew 14, 16 through 18. Then Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Seven or 12 disciples, right? You give them something to eat, the 5,000. And they said to him, we have only five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring them to me. If this doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. Come on. You feed them. Oh, you see the problem in your community? You feed them. Well, I don't, I don't have it. He said, well, bring me what you have. Come on, guys. Well, I, I, don't, I don't even have enough for us. Well, give me what you have. Are you guys seeing this? They don't need to go away. You feed them. So they're confronted with a problem, right? They don't have enough food to feed them. They don't have enough sufficiency. But notice that this lesson in abundance is predicated on the disciples giving all that that was available to them. Are you guys seeing this? If we learn from lack, we'll be afraid to sow. And what does it take to feed 5,000? Giving what you have. Come on. Jesus is saying, if you're willing to give me what you have, then I'll multiply it. And we know the rest. There was more than enough to go around. In the end, there was actually abundance, right? That five loaf and two fishes, what, how many baskets were left over? Forget. Twelve, 12 baskets left over. 
Give me what you have. You walk away with a basket. Come on. Luke 5, 4 through 6. I want to show you that Jesus taught his disciples with abundance. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. How many of you have ever been there? God, you want me to do what? I've already done that. It doesn't work, Jesus. It does not work. I don't want to do it again. I'm tired of doing it. (laughs) But then he says in the same breath, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So Peter's first response is coming from a place of experience, right? Coming from a place of experience, which in this case was the reality, right? He wasn't making it up. He's like, I just don't feel like doing this, so I'll just tell him. No, this was a reality. This was his present reality. And in the same breath, he says, nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the nets. Notice in these two examples where the, kingdom, where the kingdom abundance was demonstrated, there was a recognition and submission to the authority of Jesus. Right? When was their abundance? When did it happen? When they submitted to his will. We don't have enough to feed them. Well, give me what you got. Jesus, we've already done this. And I just want a nap. And this ain't working. But nevertheless, how many of you have ever done that? But nevertheless, Jesus, out. Right? And then the result was abundance. It's important that we challenge lessons that we've learned from pain, suffering, difficulty, and lack. When we learn from pain, we keep the baggage of it. I'm going to say that again. If we learn from pain, we will carry it around with us wherever we go. Like we'll walk into a room and be like, that that baggage of pain is just following us. Oh, they kind of look like that person that hurt me. I'll make sure I stay away from them. (laughs) Right? If we allow lack, lack to be the lesson giver, we'll be afraid to be generous and choke out the sower. When we believe that the lesson is in the lack, we'll begin to have a distorted view of God. We'll believe, think, we'll believe, we'll believe things like he'll remove his presence from us to teach us a lesson. I'm sure you guys have heard that before. God's going to remove his presence to teach you something. So next week, I'm going to preach on, you know what? The best thing that you can do is just avoid God, Right? You should really avoid God. And if he starts speaking to you, turn on really loud music and think of other things, okay? And, like, if he leads you, don't, beware, do not open the Bible. Please do not, because he will meet you there, okay? Ridiculous, right? But then we have these concepts. You know, God's removing himself to teach me something. But if I said that, it's ridiculous, doesn't even make sense. Come on. John 10.10. It's found its way in here again. The thief does not come except to steal, 
to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So it would be against his nature to lead us into anything that wasn't life and life more abundantly. He would not lead us into a place of lack. Whoa, 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 wait a second. Didn't the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness, a place of lack? Oh, I guess I got it wrong, didn't I? Have you ever wondered why Jesus was led into the wilderness? Here's my thought. He went to where the enemy was. What was the enemy? Where was the enemy at? In a deserted place, a place of lack, a place of barrenness, a place of isolation. Are you guys seeing this? So did Jesus internal reality? Remember, let's go back to what we were talking with Paul. I have learned that whatever state I'm in to be content, I can do all things through Christ. Um, I can do all things through Christ. Oh, I can't even. It strengthens me. Yeah. All right. So what did Jesus internal reality look like? He was in a place of lack. He went into the desert. He went into a place of barrenness and isolation. Luke 4, 1 through 2. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, What did his internal reality look like? He was filled. And we know when God uh, pours himself out, it's overflowing. So he was not only filled, he was actually overflowing. Right? He returned from the Jordan. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at the time and became very hungry. So his external reality was barren and lacking, but his inward reality was full and abundant. Luke 4, 3 through 4. 4. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to be bread. What did Jesus say to the parents? If your child asks for bread, do you give him a stone? What did the enemy say? Oh, turn this stone into bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live on by bread alone, but by every word of God. So Jesus reveals to us what true abundance looks like. I may have not eaten, but I have been feasting on the word of God. Do you see how this works? It's not, that, it's not what's happening around us and to us. It's what we the self-control or that self-governance of what we allow our internal reality to be. And how do we do that? Through Christ who strengthens us. So this passage of scripture clearly shows us how to respond when we are confronted with lack, pain, difficulty, so that we can walk in abundance provided for us in Christ. The first thing that we need to do is be full of the Spirit. The second thing we need to do is confront the enemy. How did Jesus confront the enemy? With with the word of God. So we need to know his nature. We need to know what he's presently saying to us. This is really important because if we believe it's part of God's nature to teach us from a place of lack, we won't have any power to confront the enemy. I'm going to say that again. If we believe that God teaches us through lack, 
What power do we have against our enemy that his desire is to steal, to kill, and destroy you? Come on. So basically, we're putting God's name on what the devil's doing. Right? Aren't we? But I have come to give life and life more abundantly. Oh, I'm, I'm being stolen from God's teaching me a lesson. Come on. What power do we have to resist the enemy? And I'm going to end with this. If these things are not from God, why do they happen? One, there is an enemy that has a desire to steal, to kill, and destroy. James 4, 7 says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What's the first thing that we do? We submit to God. We are full of his presence. We are filled to overflowing. So when we confront the enemy, he will flee. So another reason why things happen, we live in an imperfect world because of sin. Things happen because it's imperfect. But in every situation, we have all sufficiency to do all things well. But what does it require? It requires co-laboring. So if these things are not from God, why do they happen? Another one is free will. Free will. Not free willy, free will. What do I mean by that? Other people have free will to do evil things and hurtful things and say nasty things. They have free will to do it. But we, we can also experience these things because our own free will. Think about this. Could you imagine the prodigal son sitting in the pen, eating what the pigs are eating in a famine and say, you know, God's teaching me something here. Man. But let's look at that story. How did the father respond to his son on every level? The son comes up to him and says, you know, I can't wait around long enough for you to die. Right? That's what he says. When do you get your inheritance? When the father dies. I can't wait that long. Can you give it to me now? Sure. Here it is. Then we see in scripture, the father didn't tell him to go. He actually left on his own. So what does he go? He goes to a far off land, probably because the way he wanted to live wasn't acceptable in the house. He went far away and spends it on prostitutes and a famine came. He's in the pig pen, right? And he comes to his senses and says, even my father's servants have it better than me. Come on. Even my father's servants. So can you imagine him saying, God's trying to teach me something. Why was he there? His own free will. He was not sent away. He went on his own. So why do we experience some things in our life? Me including. We do some dumb things. Anybody relate to that? I don't know about you, but we do some dumb things. And so we'll never get out of it if we're like, well, God's teaching me something. No, you were stupid. <laughs> you did some dumb things. And I'm talking about myself here too. You did some crazy things. But I will get up 
And I love this because when he returned, he said, I've sinned against his father, but it also said I sinned against heaven. I not only sinned against the father, but I sinned against heaven. And so that's probably another sermon because a lot of times when we mess up, we just want to say, Father, forgive me like heaven wise and not deal with the person that we offended. But that's another sermon. So the, the reason these things happen is there's an enemy. We live in an imperfect world. There's free will. So our God is a God of abundance. We walk with him and he leads us into abundance. Stealing, killing, and destroying is not a method in which he uses to teach us. I'm going to say that again. Stealing, killing, and destroying is not a method in which he uses to teach us. His name is written on a full and abundant life. True abundance is not the excess of possessions. It's a person, right? Now, I want to decree this over you, if you can bow your heads. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit, bubbling over with hope and to overflow with confidence in his promises. God, we just release it right now. We just declare it. Lord, we just align with the truth that was presented today. Thank you, Father, that you lead us into abundance. God, abundance is not a place. It's a person. We follow you. We lean into you. We trust you. Thank you, Father. Father, forgive us where we've accused you of things that were not from you. Forgive us of it. And God, we repent right now and we align our hearts and our minds and our thoughts to the truth of your word in Jesus' name. Lord, I just decree that there will be freedom in the house today. I decree that there will be freedom in the hearts and minds of people today. Lord, I release it and declare it and decree it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.